Coast to Coast Criminal Podcast. I am your girl, Kelly Corinne. I am joined with me by my co-host, Jenna. Jenna, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's been a, it's been a rough week for us, um, you know, just with everything that's going on. How, how are you taking it? What's going on? Um, I mean, I'm taking it. I think it's... It's just everything that I see online and every other post that I read, like, it just sickens me more and more, honestly. Like, I'm ashamed to be white. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. It really, it really is. Like, and then what I hate is not only is it the horrible incident that happens, then it's the divide between people who just, those who are so passionate about you know, justice and making a change. And then the other side, it just doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Like it makes me look at people differently. Yes. Yes. It's funny. You said that. I literally said the same thing yesterday on Facebook. I'm I'm actually active in another podcast, Facebook. um, And I was speaking with a a lady that actually lives in Minneapolis and she was like a white lady. And she was saying, you know, she was like, I just couldn't believe like my friends, my family, just like how they are really kind of divided on this. And which was shocking to me because I'm like, where's the divide? Like, I know their divide, meaning this should be upsetting everyone like that. Like that's, you know, we're not going to get too much into that today. And I will probably cover that on a later date. And we may not. I don't even know. But um, it's like to me. That was a very disturbing, upsetting video. And the cops that I know, I I, I know I'm Facebook friends with another cop that was one of my brother's good friends, white guy, you know, opposed, saying like it was disturbing is, you know, like really upset. And I think a lot of cops are even just upset about this because they know they're going to get a lot of backlash. So to me, it's like, how, why, why is there a divide on this? Why is like this shouldn't, there should be no divide. So to me, it's like, and I said this to her, I was like, she said somebody should tell her not to say, like told her not to say anything. I was like, no, I said, no, don't do that. I said, um, cause when you don't say anything, it's like you're stamping that you're okay with it. You know, absolutely. And that, absolutely. And that's, and that's not cool. I said, no, I don't. I said, you could speak on it. And I said, if nothing else, this open your eyes to who people really are. You know, so I'm like, you think you know yeah. your family? I'm like, now, now you know that's how they really feel. You know, and this, and like I said, she's living in, in Minneapolis, so she's she's seeing the tension. She's she's experiencing the climate of this event firsthand. You know, yeah. I mean, I I get that, but I mean, the way that my thinking is set up is that once I know that that's who you are, once that's finally unveiled, I can never look at you the same, same way. And I can't rock with you same, anymore. You know what same, I mean? Same, and, and And there are a lot of things where I can, there were other events where I could kind of see the other side, you know, I, I'm not going to speak on that too much. But this, like, this is like, yo, this was clear up front. Like, I, you know, you've seen a lot of police brutality videos, a lot of cop shooting, just, that's just facts, over the years, because they always come out. This one, to me, was the most disturbing, mm-hmm. because 
one the optics of this white guy's knee on this black guy's neck I didn't like that that really that was unnerving number two you have people telling you yo he can't breathe treat him like a human like the the, the people recording right you, he sees that these people are recording him you still kept your knee on that man's neck for seven minutes it's mm-hmm. one thing to shoot somebody you shoot somebody that's a quick thing you know it's still tragic like let's i'm not mitigating it it's still tragic but that's it it takes a millisecond to shoot you took a long time to kill that guy mm-hmm. so because that dragged out into me it's like this wasn't a human like i wouldn't treat a dog like that well clearly we were, we're not going to treat we love dogs you and uh-huh. I probably more than most oh people. yeah but you but you get what i'm saying like if i saw somebody choking a dog I'm going to be like, yo, what are you doing? But see, you're not going to think to, you're not going to think twice about stepping on an ant or stepping on a spider. To me, that man's life was like an ant or a spider. Because you wouldn't do that to, you wouldn't do that to a dog. You know, and you wouldn't do it in front of a camera knowing, like most people typically know not to do really messed up stuff in front of a camera he clearly knew he was being recorded it never re- occurred to him mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't do this and I say him both of them because his homie was there you know watching them kind of signing off on it I really agree with you and it just you had, you had mentioned the optics and to me it just gives off the message because yeah they just arrested the police officer today but it, it gives off the message that if you don't like black people and you want to get away with taking some out the population, become a cop because you're, you're invincible yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah, And I hate that, you know what I mean? Because it's not, it's not that way. But this guy was openly racist, and this just allowed him to, you know, yeah, one less black guy to look at. And, ha- and had a history. Had a his- had a his- both of them had a, had a history of uh, police wrongdoings, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. So... To it! Yeah. <laughs> We're here to discuss the life and crimes of Aaron Hernandez. I just came up with that. I'm just <laughs> joking, but look at you. Look at you. <laughs> the, the thing in, in trying to understand whether you know a very lot or a very little about the case, mm-hmm. in trying to understand the gist of what happened, you have to understand that the case jumps back and forth so much. Because as you find out things, there are things from the past that become known or unveiled. And I think that's why every documentary that's made on them is so hard to follow because it jumps from present to past, to present to past. And it's so hard yes. to yes. understand what yes. happened. So, yes. I mean, yes. if, you, if you're looking at it in a purely chronological manner, it's a little easier to understand, even though some of what you're learning about from the past didn't come... <laughs> become known until after his first trial had already happened. And right. that's what makes the case, in addition to, to the minutia of all these details, that's what makes the case so hard to understand. Right, right, definitely. So Aaron Joseph Hernandez was born November 6, 1989, uh, died April 19th, 2017. You know, played football throughout his high school career, was a notable uh, football player, clearly went into the NFL, um, and uh, played college uh, football for the Florida, what is it, the Florida Gators. Gators, yeah. Yeah, thank you. 
Mm-hmm. In 2007, at a bar, uh, an off-campus bar called The Swamp, which is apparently like a known hangout in uh, Gainesville. And okay. it's where the players would go. And they were treated, obviously, they were treated like royalty in Gainesville. Yeah. Because they were Gators. Okay. But so I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and I should also say before we go on, he was 17 years old. He was so young because what had happened was he was the top tight end in the country as a high school football player. Urban Meyer, the coach of the Gators at the time, went to Aaron's high school, Bristol, Bristol Connecticut, and convinced the principal to allow high school before basketball season. So this is before the winter. He graduated high school in his senior year. So he could go to Florida and start practicing with the football team half a year early. Wow. So that's why he was so young, but he was with the football team and he was already on campus. So you had, you had this 17-year-old who's at the, at the swamp with the players, mm-hmm. including Tim Tebow. I saw And that. go ahead, you could pick it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was at, it was at the swamp with Tim Tebow, uh, refused to pay his bill, was escorted out by a restaurant employee. Um, as, this, as the manager of the restaurant employee walked away, Aaron Hernandez sucker punched the guy, hit the guy on the side of his head, rupturing his eardrum. That's crazy to me. Um, police of call. Police, of course, were called. They responded. Um, Hernandez called the coach, and um, he was charged with uh, felony battery. Um, but the incident was settled out of court, and happened to me. Nothing happened to him. See, and, and I'm thinking he was 17. Well, I don't know how things are now, but I was 17 when I was a freshman in uh, in college because I have a late birthday. You know, so does. Uh, so did he. He had a November birthday, so I was 17. But I was not mm-hmm. drinking in no clubs at 17, I'll tell you that much. But then again, I also wasn't the tight end at uh, Florida Gators where I could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. He was in college. There was a second incident that arose. And this incident was the college football players, a handful of them from the Gators, uh, were at a club. And this was typical. This is what they did at night. And they were dancing, and a group of guys approached them and they started arguing both sides and what happened was one of the guys snatched the chain of the florida gator football player which i believe was mike pouncey who was like one of aaron's best friends Mm -hmm. so dude snatched his chain and they left the club wow aaron and all the football players chased them out the club and they start arguing with them again the guys get in the car and as they're going to drive away someone rolls up or walks up on the car and starts shooting into it they hit the driver, they hit the passenger in the shoulder, they hit, I think the driver skimmed his head, and they um, hit but didn't injure the guy in the back seat. Eyewitness accounts from that night said it was either a very large, uh, light-skinned black guy or a Hawaiian guy, which obviously fits Aaron's description to a T mm-hmm. because they said he had a bunch of tattoos. Mm-hmm. So Aaron went to the police station that night and said, I wasn't there, I don't have anything to do with it, and here's my lawyer's card handle it and then they never talked to him again after wow. that so they never they never pointed that on him and as it would come out years later one of the guy the guy who was in the back seat of that car saw aaron on tv i think for the old lloyd thing and was like yo that's the guy who shot me and my mm-hmm. friend that's the guy wow. but they never that case is still unsolved 
they never um, did it, but that was over a chain. Wow. So what had happened was Aaron, they're admitting that, that Aaron failed one drug test and he was suspended for one game, I think his junior year at Florida. Urban Meyer suspended him. Now the rumor is that he failed many more drug tests, but they only penalized him for the one. Mm -hmm. So after his junior year, Urban Meyer basically said to him, you're a lot of trouble. We can't keep looking over these failed drug tests. You got to go pro because I can't with you anymore, basically. Mm -hmm. So he went pro and should have been drafted in the first round, Mm -hmm. which is a ginormous contract. But there were rumors that he is in a lot of trouble off the field, that he's hard to control, that he's a safety concern. Um, he scored in their assessments. He scored as low as you could score for maturity. I mean, he was still a big kid. Mm-hmm. So he, he ended up dropping to the fourth mm-hmm. round to the Patriots, and which was bad because he's from Bristol, Connecticut, so he was two hours in a drive from all the people he shouldn't have been right. around, but that he grew up mm-hmm. with. So then he got to the NFL and he was home. He was home around all of the bad people he should have been staying away from. Wow. It was a Boston uh, bar fight, uh, 345, April 30th, 2011. Police responded to his townhouse in Plainview, Massachusetts, a high school friend came over that evening um they went to a boston bar uh massachusetts state trooper pulled the car over did not arrest them did not arrest the driver because he recognized aaron hernandez in the passenger seat um and this was again another bar fight we haven't even gotten him playing yet in the nfl right i think the problem is there are so many incidents that we just named Mm -hmm. where there is either definitive links or questionable links between Hernandez and the crimes that happened that he never was punished for, never was held accountable for. So each of these is, is, you know, adding to the pot of, of first of all, his feeling of invincibility Mm -hmm. where it's like, yo, I could do whatever I want. What are they going to do? I'm untouchable. Mm -hmm. And just the, you know, each time you get away with something, you know, you can do a little bit more. You press the boundaries a little bit. Right. And if that isn't enough, 2012, Boston double homicide. Um, I'm going to let you talk on this because I know we, you and I have discussed this and I know you're a little more, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more versed on this incident, but I have some theories on what I think went down. Okay, so 2012 Boston nightclub. Aaron goes to the club. He goes to the club with a guy named Alexander Bradley who... He's a known drug dealer, and in the trial, in the Odin Lloyd trial, I'm sorry, in the double homicide trial, it came out that Alexander Bradley is like a kingpin of drugs in that yes. area, in the New England yes. area. So allegedly, when Aaron turned alle- pro, allegedly, or allegedly. <laughs> yes. but I think Bradley admitted that he sold, he said he was his weed dealer. They just became mm-hmm. good friends from that point. Mm-hmm. So when Hernandez turned pro, this weed dealer became like one of his right-hand guys. So the two of them are hanging out. They go to the club. And all that we know for sure is that Hernandez and Bradley are escorted into the club. There's like a line of people waiting to get in, checking IDs. But obviously, they're VIPs. They go right in. They go downstairs. As they're coming in the, um, in the club, you see Safiro Furtado and Daniel De Abreu, who are just two recently immigrated to the United States, hardworking, 
young mm-hmm. men who go to enjoy themselves. There is no video of what happened downstairs the night of the incident. It is rumored that Safira Furtado and Daniel De Abreu were dancing and bumped into Aaron while he was holding his drink, talking to Alexander Bradley, and his drink spilled. Mm-hmm. It is the so-called spilled drink theory that prosecutors allege uh, nine minutes later, Safira Furtado and Daniel De Abreu leave the club and get in their car, their BMW, and they start driving away. You see Alexander Bradley and Aaron Hernandez come out. They're talking, and they go to the parking tower where their silver SUV is parked. They come with, this is all security camera footage outdoor of build businesses in that vicinity. You see that silver SUV come out of the parking lot, and they start essentially looking for the guys in their car. You see them circle the two fellas as they're walking to their car. The silver SUV is circling them like a shark in the water. When they get in their Beamer, they are driving away. They're at a red light. From eyewitness account and security camera footage, silver SUV rolls up on side of them. I think five or so shots are fired and the SUV speeds off to never, almost never be seen again. They die on the scene. And what people find so interesting is such a terrible word, but what people find so interesting about this murder is that there were no leads from that night. It was like a dead night. There weren't a lot of people out. There weren't really any eyewitnesses other than the people in the other car who said that, yeah, it was a a silver SUV at Rhode Island place. That's all we know. But the Boston PD could never find the car. So the case just kind of went cold. Mm -hmm. When the Odin Lloyd thing happened, one of the Boston cops is watching Aaron Hernandez doing his perp walk out of his house. And he says, wait a minute. I remember seeing Hernandez on the security camera footage that night at the Cure nightclub. He was there. Okay, hold on. This is weird. And they eventually find out that he was there. The Boston PD then calls, I think, the North Attleboro police who are investigating the Odin Lloyd murder. And they say, hey, listen, I know this is a long shot, but if you happen to find a silver SUV with Rhode Island plates, we're looking for one in our double murder. They said, no problem. The North Attleboro police end up searching Tanya Singleton's house, who's Aaron's closest cousin and closest person in the world. And lo and behold, in her garage, stashed away under cobwebs, is a silver SUV with Rhode Island tags that Hernandez was gifted as an endorsement with the rental car company for free pub. Wow. And that is what connected him to the case, which is why the second indictment was brought. Now, Hernandez was acquitted of the murders of Daniel Diabreo and um, Safari Furtado. Furtado. Um, mm-hmm. Here's my thing with, with why I I agree with the acquittal in the sense that there was a, it was a lack of evidence. It was, it was just a lack of evidence. He's there with an alleged known drug dealer. We don't know if the drug dealer was the one that killed, killed the guys. Of course, Aaron Hernandez's lawyer said that it was the drug dealer. The drug dealer's pointing the finger back at Aaron Hernandez. We don't have any eyewitnesses of what happened. I- well, there are actually, in the acquittal for the double murder, there are two reasons why. The first and foremost reason is that he had hired Jose Baez. Who apparently gets horrible people off. Yeah, he's an amazing defense attorney. Right, right. He got famous from the Casey Anthony case. So he brings in the big gun who, 
it should be said that he did not have Jose Baez in the first trial. He had Michael Fee. So, first reason was Jose Baez. Second reason was because Alexander Bradley's credibility, as you said, was shot. But the reason why it was shot is because, let's backpedal, Alexander Bradley got shot in the face, supposedly by Aaron Hernandez, blowing out his right eye, and he's sitting there with a glass eye in his right eye. And what had happened was, Aaron Hernandez and Alexander Bradley were in Florida for a Super Bowl. Aaron wasn't playing in the Super Bowl. They were just there for parties. And they went to Tootsie's uh, strip club. Mm -hmm. And there are two different versions about what happened. The first version is that Hernandez ran up a $10,000 plus bill and he was mad that Bradley did not put in his share of the bill. Mm -hmm. The second theory is that, or the second um, alleged thing of what happened is that Hernandez said to Alexander Bradley, I can't trust you over a phone because Aaron never wanted anybody around him to have a, uh, an iPhone. This is when they first came out. Aaron had a BlackBerry and he found out that you could record people on iPhone. So he didn't want anyone in his crew to have an iPhone. And Bradley had an iPhone. So he was saying he didn't trust him. Alexander Bradley fell asleep in the passenger seat. All of a sudden, he feels the car stop. He opens his eyes and by his telling... There's a gun pointed in his face and Aaron Hernandez shoots him, kicks him out the car and drives off. Now he was found. Somebody, an eyewitness had called the police and they rushed him to the hospital. They didn't think he was going to make it, but he made it. And the police the next day when he woke up, were interviewing him, trying to get them to tell him who shot you in the face. And he never gave up her. That's right. That's right. Well, you don't snitch. You don't snitch. Right. Right. And that's what they were saying was that he wanted to handle it himself. But Jose Baez just used that as more ammo to be like, this guy is not credible. The story keeps changing. How can you trust anything he says? And who's to say this guy wasn't the one who pulled the trigger on uh, the two guys at Cure Nightclub? Exactly. So, I mean, that really sunk the case for him and got him off in the case, basically. Allegedly from the, um, I believe it was the Netflix documentary, they were saying that Bradley was threatening Hernandez once he got out of um, the hospital and was like trying oh, to yeah, extort trying him, to like unless, him for five unless you give me dollars. this money, it said, "I'll you know remember I have these guns. I'll let you know." And then he, Aaron, as it stated in the documentary, Aaron went to the Patriots. Bill Belichick and was like, "Trade me. I got to get out of here." Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't trade him, obviously, because they just gave him a forty million dollar contract. Um, but he wouldn't do it, and. That is where the so-called flop house came into play because they got him. They said, we'll get another residence. He got a little, you know, two bedroom flop house and they wouldn't get rid of him. The, the Patriots wouldn't trade him. They wouldn't do anything. And he feared for his life, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And so he was living in this constant state of fear, which was mixed with paranoia, his daily use of weed and pcp daily mm-hmm. and, so, and, the, and to me i think the cte that's that's what i that's what i think i think this guy really had lost his marbles you know yeah like, well, seriously if you see if you see the uh brain scans from the test oh it was CTA, like yeah, it was the brain of like an old man like a yeah it was it man. was so sad how small his brain had gotten because you know from cte your brain cells die and then the brain shrinks. Yeah. So his brain was considerably smaller and had these gigantic gaping black holes in it, 
which is a marker of CTE. So many layers to this that for me personally, the deeper that I look at the layers or the more deeply that I look at the layers, the more sympathy I have for him. Same. Now, it's not saying that what he did wasn't horrible because it all was. And and I think he's needs to be accountable for all of that. But I really feel bad badly for him. When he was 16 years old, his father went in for routine routine hernia surgery and died on the table. And although allegedly his father really abused physically him and his brother and his uh, his mom, he was his disciplinarian. So he wasn't going to allow any of that stuff to take place. He wasn't going to allow Aaron to hang out with the people he hung out with. Mm-hmm. But so I think that kind of got the ball rolling on this horrible path he went down. But then to to add insult to injury, as explained in the Netflix documentary, after his father died like a month or two. Oh, yeah, his mom got a new uh, boyfriend. Right. Well, yeah, his mom got a new boyfriend, but the boyfriend happened to be Tanya Singleton's husband. Right, his his first cousin's husband. Yep. Right. So the husband, Jeff Cummings, moved into the Hernandez home, pushed Aaron out his family home because he didn't want to be there, right? So he went to live with Tanya Singleton in the same house which years later they would find the silver SUV. But it was at Tanya's house where he didn't have any rules, where he started being able to smoke weed, to drink, to do whatever he wanted to do. And it is where he met Wallace and Ortiz as a high school person, as a high school student. He met them who would become the two men who were there the night of the murder supposedly at the crime scene when it happened it's just sad because you don't understand especially not when you're that young because i know i didn't mm-hmm. but you don't understand how one decision changes the course of this and then another decision puts you on this path absolutely smart enough at that age nobody is to understand the overall picture of it so although when he was older and doing you know dumb stuff he could have made better decisions. But when you're young and you're dealing with the loss of a parent, you maybe you aren't smart enough to make better decisions. So, okay. So let's start to before they found the body because every show starts when the jogger found the body. So, okay. June 18th, 2013. I, Hernandez is texting, and this has all already been proven in court. He's texting Wallace and Ortiz saying, get your ass up here, get your ass up here. He's also texting Lloyd, who two nights prior to that, they were at Rumor Nightclub together, partying. Spent $10,000. They were partying, having a good time. So Hernandez is texting Lloyd, like, let's step again, let's have a good time. But this time he is Wallace and Ortiz with him. So Wallace and Ortiz get to the house. They drive, they go to a gas station. They go and they pick up Odin Lloyd, which that's on camera from the neighbor's security camera. Lloyd gets in the car. They trace the cell phone towers um, and security camera footage to this industrial park that's a half mile behind Hernandez's house. You see the car come in. It's there for like seven minutes, I think. And then the car pulls out from the time it would take to get from the industrial park to Hernandez's house. You see the guys pull up on his security camera footage. Three guys get out of the car. They're chilling, they're chilling, they're chilling, whatever. So the next afternoon, five o'clock the next day, a jogger, a high school uh, track uh, runner, was jogging home 
through the industrial park and he came across a dead body called the cops. They come, they collect evidence, they process the scene. The one thing that immediately connected Odin Lloyd to Aaron Hernandez was that he had rental car keys in his pocket. So they call uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, say, who's this car registered to? And they said, oh, that's Aaron Hernandez's car. So they go over to Hernandez's house. They knock on the door. He's like, listen, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything to do with anything. Here's my lawyer. Call him. So the lawyer then calls Hernandez and says, meet me at the, at the police station. We'll answer questioning together. Shayana takes Aaron to the police station and there he waits for the lawyer. The lawyer gets there. Aaron goes out to the, the lawyer's car and like a dummy, the lawyer is nighttime. So it's dark, but the lawyer leaves the car doors open while he's looking for something in the back seat. And you can see Aaron sitting in the front passenger seat, dismantling his phone because the car doors were open. You could see he's literally taking apart his phone. He's using the lawyer's cell phone to call any other people. So he goes home. Then ultimately the police are able to connect Hernandez to Odin Lloyd because number one, Hernandez is the only person in North Atterboro, which is two hours away from Dorchester where Lloyd was. The only person he knows is Aaron Hernandez. That's the only reason why he's going to be over there. They found the car keys. They found a white uh, sweat rag that was at the scene next to Lloyd's body, which is the same white rag that they saw Carlos Ortiz wearing on the security camera footage of Aaron Hernandez and them at the gas station on the way to go pick up Odin Lloyd. They also find a half-smoked blunt with Hernandez's DNA on it next to the body. They find five shell casings, but there were six gunshot wounds. So the six gunshot casing they eventually find in the rental car that Hernandez returned the next day. Which that also had Hernandez's DNA on it. So it's like people said about the case, they're like, well, if you want to learn how to not get caught, watch this and don't do anything he did. Because he, he, he made their case for them in it. Mm-hmm. He made it easy for them to point a finger at him. But what, but what, what was hard for me to swallow? And we talked about this uh, when the documentary first dropped. Never said why. They Mm-mm. never said why. And and most people um, that are on juries, when they hear these cases, we need a why. We we need we need a motive. And there never was a motive. They, there are rumors that they think that Lloyd found out about his uh, sexuality, his bisexuality, and he was going to out him. The one alleged rumor about the motive actually came from a sports reporter in the Boston area. And there were rumors that the prosecution kept asking the judge to bring up Aaron's sexuality in the case. Um. I'm sorry, this was in the uh, double murder. They kept trying to bring up his sexuality and Aaron's defense lawyers kept striking it down saying it was illegal to do so. Mm-hmm. So people had ideas, people involved with the case, but nobody ever said anything. But it wasn't until this Michelle McPhee went on Boston radio on a major sports talk show and was like, oh yeah, ask the boyfriend. Because uh, Odin Lloyd caught him in a compromising position and that's why Hernandez killed him. And right, which, which was, was all made up. It was all right, no and it was two, but, but it was two days later that he killed himself. So they were saying in, I believe, the Netflix documentary, after this woman had that, you know, uh, rant on sports radio, one of Aaron's friends called him and told him about it. 
and then he killed himself. And, I, and I'm gonna be honest, I don't think that was the reason why. I don't think that's why he killed himself. This guy was allegedly had a boyfriend in jail. He's in jail. I, he's convicted doing time. You know, theory on him killing himself was the fact that back in in uh state of Massachusetts, if a per- if you have an appeal and the person dies, the state of Massachusetts pretty much overturns that conviction. His girlfriend needs this money, has a baby, you know. If I kill myself, she's going to get this check. She's going to get this money because my appeal will, you know, because of that law and where that law came from, um, because it was a a prior issue. There was a child molester, a convicted child uh, molester that was a priest, was Mm -hmm. killed in jail and he had an appeal going on. And because he was murdered in jail, his conviction was uh. I don't know. I don't know if the word is overturned, but maybe vacated. Yeah, vacated. Um, yeah. Okay, va- vacated. So it right. it, it could have been that. I'm kind of. I I don't I don't buy the gay thing. This guy was in jail, doing time. Had a lot of years. Probably had a boyfriend anyway in jail. I, I mean, the thing is, I I agree with you. I think it, the law is called abatement, and apparently, thank the, you. The child molesting <laughs> priest was staying in, I think that was the Sousa Baranowski prison, which is where Aaron was. And they said in that yes. circle, in that prison, they knew about abatement. So oh, I yeah. think that yeah, well he known. caught wind of it and thought, I'll sacrifice. I'm not getting out of here anyway. I'll sacrifice so that Shayana and Abiel can have this money. Because if the thing is, if the murder conviction was vacated, then technically he didn't commit the murder and the Patriots would have to pay him, I think it was something like $8 million from his uh, contract that he had signed. The saddest part about that, though, if that is true, is that the the, uh, conviction was vacated and then shortly thereafter, it was overturned and it was reinstated. So if he did that for them to get the money because of abatement, abatement was deemed too archaic and was was you know taken out of the equation because because of this yeah and I gotta say I think it's kind of jacked up mm-hmm. you 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 did the abatement for the friggin' child molester over here you know but you but you but you're gonna overturn it you know for him which I again I, my heart goes out to the to the victims families I get it I get it but this guy I mean let's let's call a spade a spade this guy's dead anyway the abatement. At least his family get can be taken care of because because they're innocent. His daughter didn't do anything. Right now, this is what I think is interesting: is that it was talked about in a few different documentaries. But between the time that the murder happened that night, like three o'clock in the morning or something, and when the police went to his house the next later in the day, the next day, Aaron was home all day and had time to delete security camera footage because it has been stated in the court case that some of the security camera footage from his house was deleted, but not all of it. Now, and that, and come on, man, if they're going to do something, do it all the way. Just like, right. like, Why would you cry. allow the security camera footage, which you can review? Why would you allow it to show y'all pulling up to the house? Why would you allow it to show you coming up from your basement with a Glock in your hand? Right? Why would you leave that in there unless you wanted to be caught? Well, here's again, he he's dealing with that CTE. His brain is scrambled. I mean, yeah. like, he's, like you said, it's, 
he wanted to it's, it's like he's, he set himself up which I don't think he did on purpose but that gets to me that's just a testament of how this dude's brain was really flicked up no I, I completely agree with you but then I raise this question if Carlos Ortiz and Ernest Wallace are his boys his protectors then why didn't one of them step up and say yeah I pulled the trigger they got they got charged with accessory anyway. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's your boy and you're so ride or die for him, right? And he's a celebrity making all the money. Why not take the rap for him? I wouldn't do that. Who would do that? I don't know. I mean, uh, Wallace was like 40 years old anyway. Why not just take the rap? <laughs> They're still in jail. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like they were walking out and going home. I don't know. I th- I think that's a tall ass. Take, it is. You know, take a it is. But, but that's how it goes when you're in those circles yeah, like that. Yeah, like yeah. you have somebody who's the money maker and who's a famous one. The point of having boys around you is that they'll help you out when you need oh, help. Yes. I know what you're saying. I know. Yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. That bothered me though, because I'm like, what was the point of y'all then anyway in his life? Even even if he didn't do it right, everything points to him. Like, did you? Did he not think? This all gonna come back to me anyway? No, you didn't think that. No. It's nuts. It it seems so haphazardly planned. And and I think though that stems from his invincibility. Like if you don't ever get in trouble for anything, mm-hmm. you don't need to be careful about your actions. You don't need to cover your tracks. Plus, you're dealing with some serious mental health issues. A doctor who diagnosed the CTE postmortem had said that um, it looked like a buildup of at least 10 years of hitting right, that, that right. contributed and that, to and that. that. To me, that goes, because he was wilding out in college. So there could mm-hmm. be CTE in college. That goes back to these kids. And I'm not saying don't put your kids in football. That's your business. You know, my won't. Mine ain't. You know, right. My kids ain't signing up for football. No, you can play baseball. Right. No, you know. But that, to me, that's just just a testament to this you know this football the cte stuff i mean it's really it's so many cases of these football players with domestic uh, violence charges i agree with you but then i feel like my next question is this though how much blame do you feel that urban meyer gets because number one you take him out of out of high school when he's 17 years old knowing he's too damn young and immature right and then all you do is cover up his criminal involvement so that he can play football for your your school they all they all turn a blind eye i mean mm-hmm. you know when you when you when you were in, in in high school we're getting a little off topic but when you were in, in high school correct me if i'm wrong but the football players they gonna pass oh yeah absolutely <laughs> they, go, they ain't gotta show up to class what? Show absolutely up to class. What? everybody's gonna pass them it's, it's you know what you know I agree with you on that, but don't you think there's a line between not showing up to class and not getting disciplined and oh, ab- shooting three people in a car, absolute, not getting ab- disciplined, absolute, absolute, busting but, a guy's eardrum? Absolutely. But what I'm saying is, and clearly not, you know, not all football players do this outrageous, you know, things allegedly. Right. But um, definitely. But again, it just goes back to the culture of not holding folks accountable for mm-hmm. their actions. Maybe maybe that teacher shouldn't just go ahead and pass that student. Make them make them take the freaking test. They gotta do they gotta do uh, 
uh, summer, not summer school. They, they got to go to the, the, the study hall anyway. Right. You know, I agree. Take, take, yeah, take, 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 the, take the test. But that's the culture. We put our athletes on a, a pedestal. Um, it, 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 it is what it is. This is a great first episode, though, because it shows that you may think you know a lot about the case or what happened, but there are always layers and levels to this you know what i mean like it's important yeah. and you could draw whatever conclusion you want but at least understand what's under all those layers yeah and then definitely. make your decision definitely so we're gonna wrap up this episode this is the first episode of coast to coast criminal podcast again uh i'm your girl kelly corinne you can call me kelly i'll probably go by kelly henceforth but i have my girl jenna my co-host and good friend Jenna uh we're the coast to coast podcast because I am on the east coast uh Kelly Corinne speaking I'm on the east coast in the Washington DC area Jenna is on the on the west coast and the very lovely uh LA area I wish I was over there right now well not maybe not right now during all this corona right you might want to wait a little more to travel y'all got some more cases (laughs) (laughs) that we have but I, I I I enjoy the left coast. I really do. Um, and, and if you're into it, and I know this this episode was a little bumpy. I'm going to do my best with the editing. Um, if you're still here listening, I appreciate it. We're going to be here every week. We're going to give you cases, not just murders. We're going to cover, like I said, it's, it's coast to coast criminal. So we're going to do some fraud cases. We'll be a little bit of white collar forgery cases, just stuff. But we're, we're covering cases from the left coast to the right coast. And um, we're going to be tackling cases that we're going to do some well-known cases like the one we just covered, Aaron Hernandez, but we're going to give you more lesser known cases because there are a million and one true crime podcasts out there. I don't want to give you something that you heard on a uh, crime, crime junkie or red handed pe- podcast or Wine and Crime, which are all amazing podcasts, not taking anything from them. But I want to give you some cases that you probably haven't heard of, give you some real head scratchers, so many cases about um, female victims, for lack of a better term. I want to get some, some some cases where the tables are turned. Maybe we got some female perpetrators. There you, you know, go. You know, just be anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here with us, and we appreciate it. Always appreciate the love. And if you have any cases that you want to hear us talk about, let us know. Definitely. And you can reach us here on the Anchor app. You can send us a voice note or you can send us an email. Um, Email is coast to T-O, coast criminal podcast at Gmail. I'm going to put our links down in the description box. Um, All our information, our handles, our social media handles, Go ahead, give us a like, give us a follow. And um, how about you, Jenna? I'm good. Till next time. Till next time. See you guys next week. I-